Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com. Welcome to Harmonics, the podcast exploring the ways music and creativity leads us to wellness and healing. I'm Beth Bears. On today's show, we have my all-time favorite author. I love Glennon Doyle so much. Her book, Untamed, sits on my nightstand. It has truly become almost like a Bible to me. I've read it so many times. It's so highlighted and pages are marked that I need to go back to when I need some inspiration. And honestly, if I could think of a bucket list person I would want to sit down and have a conversation with, it's Glennon Doyle. So you are in for a treat. If you have not read her New York Times bestselling book, Untamed, Get ready because this episode is going to make you pick it up and devour it just like I did multiple times. We go super deep into how hard 2020 has been for both she and I who suffer from mental health, anxiety, and depression, and how hard this time is to navigate and how important it is to be activists, but doing activism in the most effective way, which I found her advice to be absolutely incredible. And I am just beyond, beyond grateful that she chose to do this podcast and excited for you all to hear and be inspired by her beautiful, beautiful words. So without further ado, here is the incredible Glennon Doyle. Untamed, it sits on my nightstand. It's like marked up, highlighted. I've reread while we're in quarantine so much. Um, thank you. Thank That's you. That's what I want to say first. Um, and also, how are you? Because <laughs> I know, I and I mean it like, not like, how are you? Right. Are things so great? I mean like, how are you this morning? Um, okay. I have lost the point apparently this morning I just I, I was thinking today about so Abby my wife in the beginning of, of COVID she was training for a marathon and so the the marathons keep getting canceled and so she just keeps training and it's so depressing because she's not training for anything and that's how I feel 
I feel like, I feel like I've forgotten the point of training right? because there's nothing coming. Like (laughs) there's nothing, there's just an abyss of nothingness in, in front of us. And so all the little, you know, self-help and self-care and all those little tricks that can get you through a transitional time, they don't work anymore. Mm -mm. They do not work anymore. Um, So I don't know. There's there's a kind of... I'm not even feeling highs and lows anymore. That's what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm cool with highs and lows. I get that. But now I just feel really gray and just blah. So anyway, there's your inspirational speech for your podcast there from a clinically depressed motivational speaker. By the way, suffer suffer from panic disorder, had it my whole life. I feel you. Um, But I will say that uh, I feel you on that. It feels like they always say it's a marathon, not a sprint. And there's no marathon. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know if you've been feeling this, but I feel like somatically in our bodies too, this has been six months of fight or flight, Mm -hmm. like for all of us in this world. And we've never in our lifetimes, I mean, World War II, and there's some people who have lived through stuff like this, like at this level of world fear. But like, I also feel like somatically my body's really... um, starting to show symptoms. Mm-hmm. Is that why we're tired all the time? Because then I feel ashamed that I'm so tired because I've done nothing, no things. things. I've walked oh, I from know. my bedroom to the family room. That's what I've done we, today. I'm supposed to go back to work in a week and a half and I'm like genuinely scared about like walking again all day <laughs> and like doing comedy. I'm like, oh, right. Like I can't go nap every 20 minutes with my dog when I want to. I know. How scary and also, is that going to yeah. be to try to act again? I'm, How are you going to do really that? I'm really scared. <sighs> like, it makes me want to cry. I'm really anxious. I'm scared. But I also, the people that I am with on the neighborhood are, like, genuinely the most uplifting souls and kind-hearted and faith. They're so spiritual. They're, I just know that we're all going to be scared. Mm-hmm, like, there's no way they can't be. And there's, you know, people with children that have to leave their kids that are doing school from home. Like, I'm like, Beth, you can't complain. <laughs> You're going to you be fine. Know. You can, but, though, Beth. I support it. I think that everybody has a right to the full human experience, whether so they have 12 true. kids or zero kids. And so I support all of your complaining. It's safe with me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what to do in the gray. What do we do? All the tools, the meditation, the exercise, the, it feels like it's never ending, I guess. Yeah. We just feel it to heal it. Like you mm-hmm. talk I about think we're in every, the waiting. We're in the, the waiting. waiting and that's always yeah. the worst. It's first the pain then the waiting, then the rising. And right now we're in the waiting and that is a difficult place to be. So I think we just, we just throw away all of our expectations for ourselves. And we just, I'm just going back to my early sobriety days where I'm just Mm. like, one day, we have this one day, (laughs) we're going to continue to human for this one day, try to be gentle with ourselves, gentle with each other. Some sort of service work is, I think this time is so, for people like me who have, or you have panic disorder, for people who have anxiety or depression, um, you know, living in our heads is not is not a good place and that's where we're stuck right now because mm-hmm. there's so few distractions. So for me, anything involving getting out of my own little crappy head and serving and together rising stuff is saving me right now. And my pathologically optimistic wife 
is helping too. <laughs> that used to be me. I'm the pathologically optimistic wife. What happens when the pathologically optimistic wife is gray? <laughs> I don't know yet. Mine Michael hasn't broken is the, yet. <laughs> Michael is Glennon. I'm usually the Abby. I mean, yeah, I will say the one thing that brings me hope and peace and I've been reading like so much spiritual text like the Tao like Taoism and stuff and that whole Buddhist philosophy of like like joy is impermanent but so is suffering and so the gray has to be impermanent mm -hmm. like even if it's like cooking homemade pizza with your kids in an abbey or whatever like maybe that's the Pollyanna in me but I do feel like it's gray right now and we can own that and feel that but then something will happen later today or your dog will lick you or there's going to be a feeling of joy always right yes absolutely <laughs> right Glennon <laughs> absolutely and I think that the other Buddhist philosophy that helps me so much is the idea of um which sounds so depressing when you first say it but like <laughs> avoiding the, the 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 concept of hope too much this is sounds so bad and every time I try to explain it, it I feel like it doesn't come out right but but I think hope can be a beautiful thing or it can be deadly because if we're specifically hoping for a certain outcome, like I'm hoping that every day I'm going to wake up and feel better. Like I'm going to feel, I'm going to be out of this funk I'm gonna, or that every day I'm going to wake up and the world will be better or every day I'm going to wake up. And, and so if hope is specific to a specific outcome, you just become constantly disappointed Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's some poet that wrote, we have to, we have to hope without, without specific outcome, right? Or we have to, so, um, that is uh, trying to let go of what, um, we expect next, I think is an yeah. important. And trying to stay time. present, like mm -hmm. even if it's watching Netflix on the couch or like how, for me, the horses. Yeah. How, I want to know how many hours I've been, I was scared to ask for this on social media, which is my only contact with the outside world right now. But totally. Me too. And this harmonics, which has been great to talk to people. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, absolutely. people, it. <laughs> it almost is like you're having a glass of tea over here, but not yeah, really. Yeah, as close as we can get. But what do you think is a, a normal amount of TV watching a day? This is what I'm trying to, because I've been watching a lot freaking TV. Well, first of all, can you tell me what you've been watching? I mean, I, I'm so curious what people are finding like solace in right now. What else? What am I not watching? Okay. So okay. my kids and I start re started rewatching Grey's Anatomy from the beginning. <gasps> Great one. Yeah. I have found that I like, Abby still wants to watch like scary. Well, I consider oh, no. most TV to be scary. So it's not any, I can't anything that. with like a court case or like, <laughs> I, like, I just feel like I don't, I want the, the world is so unpredictable right now that I want yeah. predictable. I want nobody's shows. watching handmaid's tale right no, now. Thank we're you. Living it. <laughs> no, nothing like that. So I want stuff that I've seen already. Basically. Yes. <laughs> so I know Us how too. it ends. Us too. Parks and Rec. Yeah, oh, Parks We've been and literally Rec. doing it from the beginning. Every night, Michael's like, do you want to watch something else? I'm like, nope. Yeah. Nope, I don't. I want to I mean, laugh. We're watching Friends again. I mean, God, listen, the, the, I just, I'm, I'm watching with my kids and they're like, mom, how did you watch that? Like, there's so much homophobia and racism in it. Um, and, really? and fat phobia and, oh my God, you got to watch it again. It's like, how did we not... I mean, I, that was what I was raised on. I mean, I watched Me from the moment that came up. Yeah. Every episode. And my and it defined my like, comedy, like Ross, like I loved his physical comedy. Like, oh, yeah. Wow. It's interesting. Yeah. But, it's, but it's, but it's hopeful to me because it's, it's proof of progress. Yes. The stuff we used to laugh at, we don't, we know is not okay anymore. Uh, my answer would be 
there's no too much TV. Okay, because good, I you. also think you can go bad in the other direction, which I've done during this quarantine, which is like self-help books, not untamed, because everybody needs to read that one, because that one is worth it. But I've gone like full, you know, Pema, uh, like Buddhism, God. Uh, I even read some Christian science stuff just because I was like, what are people clinging to? <laughs> yeah, anything, anything. <laughs> like, brain, how to change the mere neurons in your brain, the source, like, and then I was like, no more. I just want to watch Parks and Rec. Mm -hmm. So I think you can, I think it's okay. That's yeah, my point. Because we think that we think we're going to find the answer in those, in those, um, you know, it'll be this discipline. It'll be this religion. It'll be this. It, the answer will be there. And really, sometimes the answer is just, it's, it's just Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler's yes, answer. Yes. Amy Poehler's <laughs> always my answer. I mean, real, truly, truly. Oh. Oh, are you still playing guitar? Oh, because that's a fun. Yeah, I know. I want you to be a rock star. I know it's not all bad news. Okay. Okay. So when I, when I was just so freaking immersed in writing Untamed, like there's, I didn't have any. There was zero other creative outlets, so I stopped playing the guitar during that time. And when I say playing the guitar, I just need you to know that I'm using that word very loosely. <laughs> like nobody was ever able to identify any particular song that I was playing. Like I could hear it, but no one in my family could ever tell. Um, but this interesting thing happened, which is that when I put the guitar down and we kept it out, out in the living room, because we want to appear to be a musical family, right? Like, that's half the battle. But it gives, it's like the same reason I buy squashes and like watermelons. That I have a squash named Henry, okay? That has been, I would love to just go get it at some point during this fight. Okay, Henry has been on our counter with, now has a face and, and a mustache and everything, pre-COVID. This squash, I'm so scared of what it might look like inside. It turns out that spaghetti squashes last six months. So I just, every time, every time I bring home like broccoli or squash, Abby pulls it out of the bag and she says, should I just throw this directly in the trash? Or are we going to go through this rigmarole again where we pretend we're people that eat broccoli? And the answer is we're going to pretend that we eat broccoli because the, the grocery store version of me is a, is a better, more hopeful version of myself. So, you know, um, sweet potatoes. I, I mean, I have 12 sweet potatoes on my counter, but, but why, but, but I also have a pantry full of chips. So when am I ever going to, anyway, um, back to the guitar. Yes. So I, since I wasn't using it at all, my daughter Tish, who most yes. of, much of Untamed is about, picked it up one day and Beth, this child, she now writes her own songs. She started guitar wow. lessons. She plays constantly. She, um, we will, you know, walk by her bedroom at midnight. She's still playing. She um, has for sure had a, a, become a different child since then. Just all of her feet, because she has big ass feelings, Beth. I know you've read Untamed. I've so read, you know. yes. Yes. Yeah, so I was she, Tish. Ooh, I had a too. lot of big feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Any same. any of us with mental health, I think. Right, right. Exactly. We feel a lot of things and we have felt them since we were little. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, anyone who's an actor who has a podcast yes. about music is for sure a Tish. <laughs> for okay. Okay. And most likely on some sort of medication. Right. <laughs> and all this health. magic comes with that, yes. with the mental Absolutely. differences. Absolutely. I wouldn't Absolutely. change it for the world, but I have seen this songwriting part of her 
just, um, it's just Aww. such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. So bad news is I'm not playing the guitar anymore, but good news is my kid is playing the guitar. So our house is full of better music than. Is she still playing then. soccer? She is. Oh, she's good. She's still okay, playing so soccer. She, she's like a little Beth Bears because I was soccer and, and like musical theater was what I was my other thing. And then I had to tell my dad I wasn't going to play in college and it was, I was going to go for acting. And he, it was like, what? How did that go? Uh, I'll never forget it. What did the converse, say? I mean, he was so kind about it, but like, it was like I could see his heart yeah. just because they were counting on a full ride for <laughs> for soccer, and uh, wasn't gonna happen. And they had also driven me like you do. You're a soccer family. They had driven me since I was five years old. Travel team all over the state of Virginia and beyond, North Carolina, everywhere. Uh, so I felt terrible. But hey, guess what? It worked out. Acting worked, worked out. out. It, it worked really did. Out. And I was never gonna be Abby Wambach. Well, no but one is. No, no one, one really is. is. And that's why my goal for my family in terms of sports until Abby came was mediocrity. Right. Like that, <laughs> I loved that. For sure. I mean, people laugh at it, but I'm telling you, it is a good parenting strategy because I watched all the people, all the parents who they thought their kids were good at things and then their whole lives were over. Right? I their whole know. lives were over. So I always felt like, okay, I want you to be good enough to not embarrass yourself in PE, but not good enough to totally... F up my weekends, okay? And so I remember one time they were in gymnastics. I actually haven't told this story. It's going to make me look really bad. But we, we were at gymnastics. We had our good two hours a week situation, learning okay. somersaults and shit, you know? And the freaking coach comes over to me and she says, your girls are really showing promise. So it's time to step it up. And that night I was like, so what other sports do you guys want to try? That's how they got into the house league. <laughs> I was like, you no, of, of course, famous Olympians. Of, yeah, of course. course, they could of have course. been the next. Um, no, because I didn't want five days a week of gymnastics. Oh my so, gosh, can you imagine? But then Abby came, and she just mediocrity is not her jam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is not her jam. She no. is a badass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And during the divorce, I, you know, Tish was really struggling. Everybody was struggling, but in different ways. And I said to her, I think I'm going to get Tish in more therapy. And she was like, like hell you are. Like hell you are going to sit that child to talk about her feelings anymore. Like these children are feelings out and they need to get their asses on the soccer field. (laughs) And they need to do something. So that's how we ended up being those parents who drive their kids everywhere and spend $49 million on uniforms. And then one day... Tell all their friends how exciting it is that their kids got $5,000 scholarships. Every time someone says that to me, I'm like, but you spent $80 million, million dollars getting on tournaments. For- <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Exercise, I have sort of an unhealthy relationship with, Same. I think. Yes. Same. We should mm-hmm. talk about that. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I wanted, I've never talked about this, but I figured with you it was safe to do so. But um, something that's been plaguing me for years since it happened was, one of my darkest times of middle school was the boys were really making fun of me for being anorexic, but like I was just a really tiny kid. And I remember asking this one boy out, Chris, you can bleep out this name, or I'll never forget his name. And don't I bleep asked, it out. Don't bleep it out. <laughs> and I asked why, why wouldn't you like go out with me? Like, why don't you like me? Like dead on, like how brave was I? Amazing. And he Amazing. said, because you're ugly and you look anorexic, And then when I was on television, I had a male boss once 
talk about my weight gain and say, your body better always be bikini ready. And I mm-hmm. thought to myself when that happened, I can't effing win. Mm-mm. Either way, being a woman in a body is apparently not enough for our society. And I know you talk so much beautifully about this in Untamed, so, and your own struggles mm-hmm. with that. But uh, how do we break this societal construct of women in these cages and these body cages because it just feels like it'll never be enough and I'm freaking sick of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I don't know. (laughs) Depressing answer. I feel like I have gotten to a place in my life where I have been able to retrain myself to um, deprogram myself from the idea that women are supposed to be small in terms of ambition, right? Or in terms of voice or in terms of emotion. Um, But I am still, I still every single day struggle with the one that tells me that my body's supposed to be small. And it's so infuriating to me because what it looks like and, and it's gotten weird weirder during um yes quarantine, during quarantine. i feel you on that i feel you on that me too that's what we call it getting weird like abby will get yeah weird. you're getting weird you're getting weird mm-hmm. michael too i think really? michael and abby would be friends yeah <laughs> they need a support group for yeah. sure um it feels like and we know that that it has to do with control right it's all body stuff does have to do with control it's all tied back to patriarchal messages that we get from the beginning. And, and, I, and I think it's deeply tied to control in terms of what a patriarchy needs is for women to think they have to control themselves, right? So we learn to control ourselves, right? That, that nothing about us is okay as is, right? So like our skin is not okay. We need $40 million worth of potions and our wrinkles are not okay. We have to actually inject the patriarchy beneath our foreheads. Like our hair is not okay. If it's curly, it should be straight. If it's straight, it should be curly. Like our bodies are not okay. Our thighs, our underarm, like whatever it is, it's, we have to control it. Control, 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 Which is so interesting because, you know, when Abby and I's relationship started, I didn't really understand what a controlling person I was until I married Abby because in my previous relationships, I think I just like tricked everyone into thinking that I was just like a really good leader. <laughs> like, I totally. Right? But like, they were yeah. like, okay, all right. We, like she, she's got it. Like we'll just do what she, yeah. you know. Um, and so, and but with Abby, she's just, mm, she's like uncontrollable. She has her own ideas. <laughs> so annoying. So annoying. She's a free thinker and... Right. Believes so in her idea. Right. And it's scary. It scares scary. me. And, and I, um, because we all have our worldview, right? We have our idea. If, if, if we thought a different worldview was right, we would change we it. We would do it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So we, we think, think we, we know. know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Jinx. Right. Yes. And so, and so one day I was, she was telling me something about work or something. And I was doing the thing I do where I'm like, oh, have you ever, th- you know, Friend thought of. Right. And, and I think I'm just being, but I'm being manipulative. Right. And she knows all the tricks that I do. And so she stopped me and she said, honey, um, when you do that, it makes me so sad because, um, it shows that you don't trust or respect me. And she said, I trust and respect you so much. And I just want you to trust me. And so this is when I realized that you can love people 
or you can control people, but you absolutely cannot do both at the Mm. same time because love implies trust, right? And we only control things we don't trust, okay? So this is now my new, that's my definition for myself during this phase of my life. It'll be different like seven minutes from now, but you know, trying to take control out of love is super important right now for this phase in my relationship for me. But it's also, I've been transferring that idea of love and control being opposites to myself and my own body, right? So if we only control what we don't trust, my entire relationship with food and body is all about control. Okay. Yeah. I think Same. about yeah. how much I'm eating. Think about how much I'm working out. Thinking about like, I, I see people who exercise and they do, I can tell like the way they do it, they're doing it for strength. They're doing it for joy. That, that is not how I'm doing it. That Same. Is, I'm trying so hard. Dude. There's certain <laughs> times where I feel that. And that's mostly when it's like old people restorative yoga. But yeah. Same. Restorative <laughs> yoga. That oh, makes me feel so loved. Yes. Right? That's enough, right? It makes me cry how good. How actually, good I'm going to do that after this. It's You know what? Me too, actually. Yoga because... and not hard yoga. That's bullshit. No. Yoga, stop betraying us. You're, you're, yeah. you're not supposed to be CrossFit. Okay? No. We want, when we come to yoga, it's for self-love and peace and not to kick our own asses. Yes. Right? Yes. So, so what I think is that I will be at a place where I can say I have self-love, meaning body mm-hmm. love, when I can just let my freaking body be, when I can trust it to be whatever it needs to be and wants to be and was born to be without kicking my own ass every day, right? Right. And, and, the, um, and, and, and the other thing that pisses me off about when, when I'm even talking about this is like, you know, I'm supposed to be this like feminist person who like I should I feel not the same way <laughs> I should not be thinking about this anymore uh, yeah it's so infuriating and you know what it's I think often about how many thoughts a day that I have no matter what I'm doing whether if I'm creating great art I'm marching I'm activating and still 50% of my freaking thoughts are about food and my body and that I feel you. is so infuriating to me because when you think about the opportunity cost of that, okay, because we are extremely smart, powerful women. Like what kind of art would I be making? What kind of world changing works would I be doing if I wasn't spending half of my fucking life thinking about my freaking stomach? Where would that brain power go? Yeah. And so that's why I didn't put anything in Untamed About Bodies. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very weird. I love that very weird for me not to and I thought about it and I had a bunch of shit about it and I just thought no I want this to be visionary for myself like I want girls to pick up a freaking book about women and their power and not introduce the idea of struggling with your body like I'm so annoyed that I still have it and I want to live into the truth right I'm not this is not the truth this is The consequent, this kind of compulsive thinking, this kind of being caged is a result of every single message that we got for our whole lives, right? So instead of constantly responding to it, then our whole life is in response to this shit, which makes our life not creative and not true, right? 
Because rebellion against a thing is just as much of a cage as obedience to the thing is. Yes. Yes. Right? Because we're not thinking freely. We're not living, we're not living from scratch. So, so I, I'm willing to talk about it, however, but like in my art, I just, I just want my daughters to pick up a book that isn't even suggesting to them. It's like every time I see a little girl, like a five-year-old girl wearing a girls can do anything shirt. I'm like, stop making that shit. They didn't know they couldn't do anything, couldn't do anything until you put it on the screen. Yeah, until they wore it. I know. I know. <laughs> yes. Oh, Girls are human beings. Like it's I like in your book when Tish makes them change the uniform from the lady something, yes. and they're like, I I'm not gonna wear that unless the boys have one that says the gentleman birds or whatever it was. Like exactly. that birds. <laughs> like birds. the most unathletic <laughs> animal. The I, Gentlemen, uh, Panthers, <laughs> I think they were. Like, <laughs> Panthers. <laughs> Panthers is much more real. Do you know what also has been really difficult for me? And this is like because of all my reading, I feel like over this that I'm desperate to find this. You know how Eckhart talks about it, and every spiritual teacher talks about our bodies are just a form, right? But our soul and our spirit lives on. It's a part of Mother Earth. It's part of a bigger consciousness, higher power, whatever you believe, universe. That concept to me, I feel like would literally solve every single problem I have. Mental health, Mm. art. If I could really just believe, it like actually makes me emotional. If I could Mm. really just believe that this is a form, but it's not authentically who I am and really feel that and Mm. really connect to that. And I've tried, girl. I have read everything. Yes, you have. And I can, um, I'm smart. I can digest it on an academic, intellectual level. Mm -hmm. But how can we, I'm desperate to digest it on a soul level. And I mean, honestly, reading Untamed was the first time I felt like, you know, we can do hard things. I say to myself every single day, mm-hmm. I, I say to myself, you will never leave you every day from your book. I say, good art is not to show off. It's to show yourself. Like these are on my, guys, mm-hmm. these are on my mirror. <laughs> um, but like your book gave me at least, it wasn't like frou-frou self-helpy in that way. It gave me like powerful tools mm-hmm. to combat this life and this cage that I'm breaking free of. Mm-hmm. But there is that that one concept, especially recently with how dark and gray and the world, I, I, it's been really, because I'm like, oh, if I could just connect to that, then I could have hope and peace that like every person who's suffering is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's really freaking hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like the double thing of, I mean, I tend to think on a regular basis big I can tell you're you're a very big thinker too okay so like a few a few times a day I am convinced that I need a new family and a new (laughs) country country and a new home and a new career and a new face and a new um and and really what I usually need is like a glass of water (laughs) (laughs) so I think one thing for people like us (laughs) is I, I I know that I haven't read everything, but I feel like I've read almost everything. Like reading for me is my one safe place. Right? Me I've been, too. 
I've been the one, you know, since I was five years old, just, I can't, people are scary for me. I want to meet people through a book, right? Where yes. I can close them <laughs> if they're bothering me. Right? Yes. So Put it down. Yes, that's correct. Um, and so what I, I think it's wonderful to read and I think it's wonderful to explore and to be a seeker and we will be for our whole entire lives. But I think if our hope is that, that we're just like one book or one discipline away from, from the peace and the answer, that that is a frantic and scary place to live, right? Yeah. That actually what you have with your angst and your fear and your worry and your pain is like you don't have a problem, you just have a life. Like this is what it is. <laughs> Right? Like, like you're not, you're not just one, one secret. It's not like everybody else has a secret that you don't have. Right. 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 Right? This is what I have to try to remember. So, so I do think that the daily thing, what keeps me from losing it completely, which is my one thing every day. It's like, what do I need to do today? Not to lose my shit. Okay. Yeah. Is, um, is the small things like when, when I'm serious, when, when you, you just reminded me something that saves my life, which is very gentle. Yoga. yoga like I will when we get off this well I'll probably like procrastinate for a while totally but then I'll do it and I will feel better and like mm-hmm. at this point in my life that's the goal right it's just yeah. we're not you know I remember my sixth day of sobriety I got sober when I was 25 and I and, and early sobriety is terrifying um because when you've been an addict for a long time Everyone in your life wants you to get sober, right? So mm-hmm. people are holding, because you're ruining everyone's lives usually, right? So people are holding out sobriety as like the golden ticket. Like people accidentally suggest to you that once you get sober, everything's going to be fine. You're going to feel better. Right. You're going to be, Ooh. you know, you're going to be okay, right? And so that is why so many people, I think, um, just crash and burn in early sobriety because actually... Early sobriety is the worst. It's the worst of the worst. Okay. It's because what happened to me is I thought I had tricked myself after a decade, a decade and a half of addiction to thinking, okay, one day I'll stop this and then my life will be okay. And then one day I stopped it and I felt worse than ever because when you're freshly sober, it's like defrosting from frostbite. It's like everything you've been numbing starts to tingle again and hurt right? And so all you do every day is remember why you started drinking and drugging in the first place. Right? <laughs> right. You're like, oh, oh yes, actually that was a good this idea. Why I did that this. was a good idea. <laughs> right. So, so I remember, and then there's this terrifying thing that happens, which is that over time you've been able to tell yourself that your problem was the drinking. So when you take that away, you're supposed to have no problems. Yeah. And then you're like, oh shit, I am the problem. Mm. And I can't get away from myself, so I'm screwed. So I remember going to a AA meeting and them saying, or standing up and just saying all of that. And just saying, I think that everyone else has a secret to life that I just don't have. Because life looks so much easier for everyone else than it feels for me. And this woman came up to me after the meeting and she said, Honey, I want to tell you something that someone told me in early sobriety. And that is that... Life is not hard right now because you're doing it wrong. Life is hard right now because you're finally doing it right. Mm. Because feeling all your feelings, even the uncomfortable ones, is really hard. And that's why so few people do it. 
right? That's why most of the world numbs and deflects and, you know, doesn't sit with all of this. She said, the thing is though, that, um, that being human is not about feeling happy. It's about feeling everything, right? And, and the truth is that all feelings are for feeling, even the hard ones. Yeah. So, and that's, it. And, and it sounds so simple. Every time I say that, I'm like, what? that sounds like the simplest shit I've ever <laughs> But it wasn't simple for me. It was like mind bending. I didn't know that because in our culture, we don't teach that. Right. We teach people. No, we teach everybody that happiness is success. Yeah. Right? The and gratitude. that this thing will get you happiness. And if uh, you get here and if you get there and like, that's the root of my anxiety disorder, I've realized. Mm. First, number one is tolerating uncertainty. My least favorite thing when we don't have control. Uncertainty drives me crazy. But what really helps anxiety on the deepest level for me is that not trying to push it away or push it down or get rid of it, but like kind of keep it under my arm and be mm. like, you're here, you're mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. And you're right, feel everything, even if I feel like I can't breathe and I'm so anxious about, you know, more black people getting killed every day and mm-hmm. what is going to happen and my mom who has lupus getting COVID or whatever mm-hmm. the the thing is, but just carrying it along with me, like you said, and feeling it because feeling it is the only way to get through it, right? Yeah, and think about like the the opposite. So we have we feel like shit now, right? We're stressed out. We're we're worried. We're we're angry. We're what's the what, we haven't been those things. Yeah, and that's because we were living in you know purposeful denial mm-hmm. about the way that our country was operating for every marginalized group except for us. Um, and so, and so, and so there's, there's some level of like, well, that was no good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when we didn't feel like shit, that sure as hell was no good. Was not good. Right. right? So maybe all of this is exactly right. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should be feeling this way. I mean, we are in the middle of what, what, what I hope and pray we will look back on as the beginning of the next way, right? Yes. And there's no revolution without revelation. And we are seeing all of this and it's making us feel like shit. And that is probably fine and right. Yeah. <laughs> right? So maybe feeling all of it right now is exactly right. Right. And that when we break apart, we have to come back together. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, there was that nun on the Democratic Convention that had Mm. that beautiful uh, quote that was something about, you know, hitting rock bottom and it all breaking apart so that we can rebuild better. Yeah, crisis. I mean, the word crisis. (laughs) Crisis. It means to sift, right? So like the Latin Latin, um, root of that word is to sift. So it's like, it you know reminds me of those kids that go to the beach and they hold up those little plastic sifting things and they let everything fall away and they're left with the treasure on top. Like that's what crisis comes to do. It's just we let everything fall away that isn't true enough, and we just hope that there's some treasure left over. Um, but the breaking is good. I mean that's the thing. The other thing is like I'll, every time I see a meme that's like 2020 is trash or like whatever. <laughs> but like the funny thing is also that that. You know, in the activist circles I'm in, nobody's talking like that. Like, yeah, the, this is the first time that there's been hope because all of this has been going on forever. For so long, right. And all of the activists have been pointing towards it and nobody's been paying attention. 
So now finally, at least everybody's paying attention. So actually, you know, in this moment, it's been that, you know, we talked about hope being dangerous and it is, but there is an element of maybe it feels things feel different right now than they ever have before. And so maybe this level of people um, allowing the pain of this time into their lives and families and worlds and will um, make change. But but like we say, the, all of trans, we, you, you cannot construct anything without deconstruction, right? Destruction is inherent in yes. the constructing of anything new. It's just painful. <laughs> and what you said in your book too really struck me about speaking of activism, this really touched me as far as like you have together rising that, that obviously helps all the people in need with their suffering, but also then tries to get to the root cause of the suffering. I I can't remember exactly what the river reference Mm. was, but um, why they fell in, right? They're drowning, but why they fell in and tackling that. And I feel like this breaking apart this crisis, this whatever is hopefully dismantling, like making us see deeper what the root <laughs> root of this suffering is, I hope, so we can tackle yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it was when we, our team had been working just day and night, trying to keep food on the table for people, trying to keep, you know, people paying their medical bills and people, and, and just every night we'd go to bed, like, why the hell are so many people suffering? Like, what, it, why are all of these people working their asses off? Like, not making ends meet. And then I read that quote from Desmond Tutu one day that said, there's only so long you can pull people out of the river until you look upriver to see who's pushing them in. Okay, and this one moment changed my, that quote just changed, you know, it lit up something that had been simmering inside of me, um, which is this idea that philanthropists have to be very careful because you. I don't think you can be an effective philanthropist unless you're also an activist. Because if you are only pulling people out of the river, then you are codependent with power. Yes. Like you are actually helping them. You are with them. You are part of it. Yeah. Yeah. You're like their housekeeper. Yes, exactly. They're like shoving people in the river, making money hand over fist. And you're like, it's okay. We got it down here. And it's it's always, almost always white men who are throwing them in the river, almost always white, black, usually women of color and white women who are pulling people out. So it's like this ridiculous. So, um, you know, and then you start following, you start paying close attention. You start to say, okay, why are all these LGBTQ kids? You know, why is that uh, community the highest growing homeless population in the country? And there's only so many, you know, shelters we can build, mentorship programs we can start until we look up river and say, oh, it's because these religious institutions are pumping shame into their pulpits, right? And so the parents are taking that shame home and they are um, passing it on to their kids. Like, oh, up river, there they are, right? The, you know, the opioid crisis, Jesus, we were knee deep in that and like trying to figure out, oh, there's only like two freaking families who are cashing in billions on this crisis and we're over here like so (laughs) every time there's great suffering there's always great profit Hmm. just every time so i just feel like this this work has to be and both all the time like we will continue to pull people out of the river but every day we will also just give living hell to the people upstream who are pushing them in right yeah oh it's a bit of a mess i love that that is something that will stick with me forever because like 
there's so many things we can give money to or put our cause, you know, our face to or uh, and it, and it's so hard to raise the money and so hard to do all the things. But like it really we should be constantly going after the root cause and figuring but that's out scarier. But that's scarier because it is so much easier just to like live over here mm-hmm. because it because then everyone loves you. Right. Then, then you are a star. You are like, oh, you're doing such good, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to face conflict, which right. is you don't like people not liking you. Nobody comes after you. After you. you. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, um, God, I wish I could remember that quote. It's like, as long as I fed the, as long as I fed the poor, they called me a saint. And the second I started asking why people were hungry, they called me a communist. <laughs> like, you know, it's like you, so, so, so it does take courage to not just live over here but to also step out and start asking why and take on the big guys yeah you know there's only a handful of them who are all cashing in on everybody's suffering always have been from the beginning of time so you know but if enough of us start doing that which is kind of what's happening happening now yes yeah exactly If, if, if we finally realize that it really is just a handful of rich guys doing all of this and we finally all band together. Come together. Yeah. yeah uh, okay. Well, the tagline of this that I really wanted this podcast, not only to be about vulnerability and healing and making people feel less alone during these times, but I love thinking about creativity as healing and that healing is creative. And so I just want to know, I guess, about your artistic process, like mm-hmm. your writing process, your, um, you know, ritual with that and how, how, do you feel like it's healed you? Um, no, I, mm. I no, mm-mm. no, I don't feel like he, heals, healed is a big word. Like I, I don't even know what the hell it you is. You said honestly. I'm a big worder and I just yeah. have a glass of water. Yeah. Like really? I should no, just but be really like, and truly. And does maybe, it make you happy someday? Well, sure. Right. <laughs> That's enough. But Beth, maybe there are days where I would say it does. Maybe today's just a, a tough one I don't know but healing I just feel like well it's like untamed like is anyone ever going to be untamed no like is anyone going to live is anyone going to live free from social constructs like no you don't like hit that one day it's like a moment by moment I think of healing as more of like not something that you you know nail one day that it's just like something that you enter into like if I do do that yoga later Right, which is yeah. still questionable because like sixty percent self sabotage is my jam. <laughs> so even when I know something will help me, I'm still thirty percent. It takes it. so much to roll out that mat and like put on like yoga pants instead of like sweatpants if you want to feel like you're doing it. I know it's I get and, it. And why like... can't oh because it's so hard to sit there, Glennon? Like it's hard to sit there. Is that what you're saying? I yes. Know. But I just think of healing as something I can decide to participate in each day or not. Hmm. Like, it's like an energy that I can decide to enter into, or I cannot in either way, I forgive myself. (laughs) Okay. But what I do think that writing has allowed me to do and the creative process, all of it, living a creative life has allowed me to do is feel freer and safer and, um, allowed me to, uh, feel like I'm not pretending my whole life. Like, I can't imagine any, I don't know about what healed is, but I can't imagine anything worse than living this one life as somebody other than myself, which is what a lot of people do, right? Yeah. People who, I mean, what I did before art, like 
we have this truest, deepest self that is inside, right? And so that's the self that um, is the untamed self. It's, 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 it's what we were born with, right? It's our wild, it's our individuality. It's the, it's the voice that tells us the truth. So like when somebody says, how are you? And we're like, I'm fine, everything's good. I love my job, my family's awesome, marriage is easy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, like, and like inside, I'm like, I'm so lonely, right? That's, that's your untamed voice, okay? So what art does is it allows me to use that voice, that mm-hmm. real, true yeah. voice, the voice that I first was only able to use at recovery meetings. Okay, for a long time, I thought recovery meetings was the only place that anyone was ever honest. Okay, and so when I first started writing, I said, I, I, the reason I started writing was because I found myself just dripping with children and unable to go to recovery <laughs> Dripping meetings. with children. It's just like, ugh. Um, oh, I and, love that so And much. I felt desperate to use that voice. I, it felt right. like, like claustrophobic. Like, and, and so then when I first started writing, I mean, I, you know, when I first started writing using that voice, I felt how I still feel when I'm telling the truth on paper, which is when I see those words on the paper, I feel more like I'm looking into a mirror than I ever do when I'm really looking into a mirror. Okay? And that gets back to what you said that we are not actually at our essence, this physical body, right? Because when I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, okay, look at you. You've done a pretty good job today of matching society's expectations of you. Like your highlights are looking good. Like, uh, like just, just what, what is it? What is, this is not me. This is like a costume that I have created to try to make the world like me, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> And it's never going to be enough. So no. why am I even trying? <laughs> but it's for sure yeah. just like something I, I put together. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but like when I write, you know, that's why the line in, in Untamed, it's there she is. Mm. You know, in the book, I wrote that moment because it came, those three words came up to me in relation to Abby. Yes. But what I really think those three words are about me, like when I felt that, self rise up in me and recognize her Mm. that was the self the truest deepest self that had been smushed and buried beneath the whole world's expectations for me right and all these ideals and who I should be as a woman and a straight person and a Christian and a blah 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 so you know what I think about art when I when I and and I can do writing by the way that does not do that like I, I'm an art article or some shit, and I'm like, it's not like a magical moment, okay? But there are moments when I read when I wrote Untamed. Untamed, okay, is it was like, I mean, the the writing of it was brutal. I actually hate writing books. I think it's the hardest thing on earth. Oh, I don't know how you do it. I writing is for sure the hardest art artistic medium. I think hands down. Oh, really? My God, truly, it's so hard. Because you're the so beginning. Hard. Like for actors, we get to interpret writers' words. But they have to begin. And I always think. And then a director crafts and the crew and whatever. But, like, I think writers, because you're pulling from Muse or, from you know. Nowhere. You're nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> also, as because artists, it's such a gift to be able to make a living do what yeah. we do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, passion, commerce, when passion becomes, mm-hmm. you know, your job. And that I know there's going to be articles where you write that, don't feel like that, but the fact that Untamed did. And oh, like, yeah. It was man. the deepest of the deep. It was oh. like, like, I don't really care if I ever write a book again. 
Like this, everything that I know, everything I've been like dying to say since I was 10 years old is there, is there, right? That's like, people are like, what are you going to do next? I'm like, do you think that I saved stuff? Do you think I like, like, I don't know any other things. Okay. (laughs) If you want to know what I know, it's in there. I wasn't like, oh, I have this extra wisdom that I'm just so full of wisdom. I have extra. So many books. That's it. That's it. That's the best (laughs) I can do. It was pretty damn good. So thank Thank you for that. But it's true. It's like back to that idea about, you know, Tish and her guitar or like, it's just a place where you're, you can see yourself and you can see somebody when you see a great actor. Like, oh, there's like, the, that's why we need art so much because we're all walking around as these representative shiny selves. And that's why we're so lonely because we're stuck inside with our real selves. And art takes us to that place where everybody is like admitting that, oh, it is as brutal. It, it is as brutal and beautiful as we think it is, right? Like it's that real place where that other realm where we can be who we are inside while we're pretending to be other people in regular life. So in that way, it is very healing to me because, because it's, it's integrity. It's like, you know, if integrity is matching your outside with your inside, I think it is, I think it's just being integrated, right? Your outer self is integrated with your inner self. Art is the only place I really feel like that. I feel the same way. Yeah. When it's at its purest, like in, untamed, or like when there's a scene in front of the live audience where you can feel the electricity mm-hmm. and you don't know what's going to happen next and you're with your part, like Max Greenfield and I are on a roll or Tashina, mm-hmm. I don't know what they're going to do. And it's, and, and you're together. There's like a community feeling and, and knowing that untamed was probably going to go out there in the world and what you were feeling was hopefully going to make us all feel as wonderful as it did. I know I have that. We let, you have that, that's right. And then I can we always let go ourselves... back to Untamed and feel better. Guys. <laughs> I know I have that in my life. That will always make me happy. <laughs> Amy Aww. Polar and Amy Untamed. Polar and untamed. If you I take nothing it. else from today. <laughs> <laughs> and you're allowed to be wildly successful and you're allowed to be, um, you're allowed to have made art into a career and have got, had all your dreams come true and also allowed to be human, right? Like my sister and I were on the phone this morning and it's just so funny you're saying this because we're like both so depressed this morning. And we were laughing about how like if, you know, six months ago, we would have told you that if just, if just like this book were like number one for this many weeks, if just we could get to this level where right. like if, if just... We permeated the culture. If just, if just we will, then we will be happy. Then we will, we will have crushed it. We will have nailed it. We will float through our day. No, zero. There's no there there. Like, and by the way, you don't have to be fucking grateful all the time. All right? Listen, that is a female thing. Okay? Do you know how many of your male co-stars are sitting at home wondering if they're fucking grateful enough, (laughs) writing in their gratitude journals, (laughs) writing in their gratitude journals so that they can be good boys. I love my husband. (laughs) I swear, I swear I'm happy enough. I swear, don't strike me down. I swear I'm grateful enough. (laughs) You can be however you are. You can be however you are. Amen. Glennon, I could talk to you literally all day, but I don't want to keep you from your yoga. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Okay, let's see. Um, I'm just going to do a few of these that I do every episode. So you can only bring three records with you on a deserted island. What would they be and why? 
Okay. Um, I would bring, um, okay, this is, I, I'm pigeonholing myself here, but it's true. I would bring all Indigo Girls albums. I love the Indigo Girls. They're my, they saved, they've saved my life. Saved my life. All through sobriety, I used to listen. I couldn't try feel my feelings because I thought I would, there would be a black hole that would kill me. So I used to just lay on my bed and, and let Amy and Emily sing to me like four minutes at a time. And I would practice feeling my feelings. <laughs> Wow, I love yeah. that. That's kind of how I feel about Dolly Parton. Oh, Julie, I know you love Dolly Parton. I love Dolly Parton too. Light up oh the clear blue morning. But like you're right that when there is a song or a musician that makes you feel, mm-hmm. it's the best mm-hmm. and the worst. The and, best the worst. and the worst because yeah, you feel scary. it. Yeah, it's exactly. Scary. Well, let's do the Dolly question because we're talking about Dolly. Okay. True or false? Frida Parton, Dolly's sister, released a punk album in the eighties. <gasps> True? It is true. I feel like it's like it has to be true because no, she's a part of No, the only thing I was thinking is maybe it's not punk. Maybe it's maybe like it's a different surfer genre. rock or something. Totally. Okay. okay. It was a punk album, but the craziest thing about this is that she actually gave that up. It was like her one album. I read about this. And then decided to open a chapel, a wedding chapel, and like marry people. Of course she, <laughs> she went from Why are those people punk- so cool? They're so cool. The Partons. <sighs> amen to the Partons. I'm going to... I'm manifesting that Dolly, I'm tagging her in everything for harmonics just so that she knows she's a huge part of this and I would love her to be on because she's my Lord and Savior. We're putting it out to the universe this <laughs> Please, moment. universe. Come to us, Dolly. Come to us. Um, what subject do you Google the most? <laughs> I swear every day I Google how to manage anxiety and I always think that something new is going to come up and it. I've, I've read the same... 50,000 articles, 49 million times. I've never felt more seen by a woman mm-hmm. or a man in my life than I just felt mm-hmm. by you saying that. Like, what do you want? No. And, and I do it differently. Like, how do I manage anxiety? I'm like, okay, wh- how, what if I have anxiety all day? Like, wh- what, but, 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 like, what, what do you, foods? Foods help anxiety. What, what colors? What color should I paint my, what my, aura color? <laughs> yeah. I do that. Mm, but us. there's no answer. We just said, you told me there's no... Glennon, you take your own advice. Oh, I never take my own advice. I Beth. know. Who do you think I am? I know the things. I just don't know the things. That's but we just want you to be... Well, there's that saying, uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. So we all expect you to be like Buddha, but Buddha's still chopping wood, carrying water. No. And also, you would living. hate me if I were like Buddha. Oh, my God. Oh, my I don't God, want, so I don't right. want to talk to anybody who... There's only yeah. like a couple people. There's like people who will tell you that they don't have it figured out, and then there's just liars. They're such <laughs> right? liars. Yeah. So, there's, yeah. yeah. Okay, this is called the blank room exercise. Oh, yeah. This so close your this eyes. One. Okay, I'm scared, but I'll do it. <laughs> Go into a blank room. What are you hearing? Nothing. Awesome. What are you smelling? This one pink candle that I have that I love the smell of that I use when I'm doing yoga. <gasps> what are you doing? Water. What are you touching? My mat. What are you seeing? In the back of my eyelids. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I really nailed that one, huh? You nailed it. I like it. I'm here for well, it. Well, Glennon, you're amazing. It's so fun. Thank you truly for doing this. Stay in touch. Stay in touch. I will. Wow, wow, wow. Oh my goodness. That discussion was everything. I 
just love Glennon Doyle. I am so, so grateful that she was our first official guest. I know I am going to refer back to this conversation a lot in the future and obviously Untamed, which sits on my nightstand. I hope that you will do the same and find her just as inspiring as I did. And as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to go get a glass of water and then I'm going to do some gentle yoga. <laughs> For more information on everything Glennon Doyle, head to momastery.com. That's M-O-M-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com, where you can buy all of her amazing books, read her personal blog, and see what she has coming up on the mostly virtual horizon these days. You can also follow her on all of the usual social media channels at Glennon Doyle. Also, be sure to check out Together Rising, an all-women-led nonprofit organization that she founded and has raised over $25 million for women, families, and children in crisis. Thanks again to Glennon for being our first official guest on Harmonics. Whew, y'all, there is plenty more where this came from, and I cannot wait for you to hear more of what we have in store for you. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for my conversation on family and forgiveness with Brandy Carlisle, as well as some revelations about our very own personal experiences with Dolly Parton. Oh, you do not want to miss that Brandy Carlisle episode. Oh, also, we have a hilarious and heartfelt catch-up with my neighborhood co-star and good friend Tashina Arnold. Plus, deep dives into topics like mental health, sound healing, ancient musical traditions, and the power of the creative process on our physical bodies and emotional selves. We are just getting started, so stay with us. And more than anything, take care of yourself. This episode of Harmonics was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs and is only possible with the superb leadership of executive producer Amy Reitnauer Jacobs and the entire team over at The Bluegrass Situation. Check out all of the amazing Roots music and culture podcasts they have up on the BGS Podcast Network over at thebluegrasssituation.com. Theme music by Allison Russell. Discover more at Allison Russell Music on Instagram and wherever you stream music. I'm your host, Beth Bears. Until next time, always remember that creativity is healing and healing is creative. Mm-hmm.